Greetings, everyone. It has been a while since we were together, and I can't think of a better way for us to come together to initiate our intersections with uh, than the opportunity we have today to be in the presence of uh, Brother Satyananda. The motivation for me to put this uh, opportunity in front of us you know, has been that over the holidays, there is the opportunity for us to slow life down, to pull back and to reflect. And as we do that, there is at times a stirring of the spirit that happens from within that makes us wonder what the possibilities are in the year ahead, how we could go deeper, how we could get to a truer and fuller expression of what it is that we are hoping and aspiring for to pursue in our lives. And therefore, at a time of self-renewal and self-reflection like that, I think the kind of conversation we will have today could be really valuable. And so let me introduce you to who it is that we have in our midst as our guest today. So Brother Satyananda is a senior monk with Self-Realization Fellowship. He is the minister in charge of the iconic Lake Shrine Meditation Center of SRF. And the story really begins 100 years ago. In the year 1920, Yogananda, a young monk from India, moves to the United States to give a talk at the International Congress of Religions in Boston, and then decided to stay on here to further advance the ideas and thoughts of how yoga could be actually embraced in the modern world. He went around the nation giving a number of inspiring talks. He was very thoughtful about adapting that message to the hungers and needs of humanity at that time. Super science and art of concentration for real success and everlasting youth. But then he took a step back. And as he said once, he said, I prefer souls over crowds. And so he, he moved from a quantitative to a more qualitative you know, focus in his you know, career at that time by seeking to help nurture and develop and support those truth seekers who wanted to go on a lifelong path of self-realization, bringing them together, you know, honing and crafting his, his teaching and also setting up certain centers and physical locations in Mount Washington in Los Angeles to help propagate the work and institutionalize it for the future. And in doing that, he also then at some point took a step back and started to do more codification, more writing of these you know, timeless principles of yoga, leading to the publication of a classic in the spiritual literature of the 20th century, the autobiography of a yogi, and a book that has been embraced by you know, such a diversity of humanity, including in this case, George Harrison, where I'm sharing a quote from him. He says, I keep stacks of the autobiography of yogi around the house. And I give it out constantly to people. When people need regrooving, I say, read this, because it cuts to the heart of every religion. And some of you who are not otherwise familiar with, with the work of Yogananda may have actually encountered him without even knowing, because to the extent you've been drawn to the music of the Beatles, well, I don't know if you know this, but on the cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, you know, that album, there, hidden in that little nook on the top right, is in fact that picture, the same picture from the autobiography of Yogananda. There is a movie on Yogananda that got recently produced as well. It's a beautiful, very uplifting, inspiring film and gives us a very beautiful glimpse of the manner in which this brown-skinned man with long hair comes here to the United States and builds a bridge, you know, builds a bridge between East and West that is lasting and evolving till today. 
he was recently covered in the new in, in the LA Times with a story about how his impact has lasted for these hundred years and is growing. The organization he set up is called Self-Realization Fellowship. And to me, one of the crown jewels in this organization is the community of monks and nuns that it has cultivated over the years. And in those monks and nuns at Lake Shrine is Brother Satyananda. He's been a monastic in the in this community for 45 years. He has gone around the world in giving talks and inspirational guidance on the teachings of yoga, on the teachings of self-realization, Yogananda. And it is therefore a great pleasure for me to have in our midst today, Brother Satyananda. Brother, it is such a joy to have you with us. Pranams and welcome. Thank you, Itindra, and greetings to you and greetings to everyone that's present. It's wonderful to have an international symposium. So a little bit about uh, Shrine, which is where I live. We have a wonderful spiritual center here founded by Paramahansa Yogananda in 1950. And it includes a meditation garden. It has a temple, a retreat where people can come and spend time in quiet reflection, and also a monastery for men, an ashram where I live. And this is the, the full site that is offered to the world. Uh, Paramahansaji envisioned Lake Shrine as a spiritual center where all people can come and they can experience a renewal of heart and mind and where all faith traditions, all religions are welcome. So we have uh, a number of features at the Lake Shrine site itself. Um, we have a lake, a natural lake surrounded by meditation gardens and uh, people can come. There is a court of religions where all people can come and worship. They can see their own religion portrayed there and honored there. They can walk on a quiet pathway around the lake. They can choose meditation benches or places to sit. Uh, there is a open temple forum there with the golden lotus towers. Guruji described that as a temple without walls. So it is a church that has no boundaries. It is open to the world. Um, we also have the ashes of Mahatma Gandhi. That's a very unique feature. There you can see enshrined inside a Chinese marble sarcophagus. Paramahansaji and Mahatma were friends, and they very much shared common spiritual and humanitarian values. And so when Gandhi was assassinated, a mutual friend arranged for ashes to be delivered to Yoganandaji at Lake Shrine and he had them installed here. And people come from all over the world to pay honor to Mahatma Gandhi. Brotherji, thank you so much for that. And um, that place, Lake Shrine, for those of us who haven't been there, I strongly suggest that when you're in Los Angeles next time, post-pandemic, that you try to kind of play a, play a visitation there because it is beautiful. And perhaps you'll even get an opportunity to connect with, with you, Brotherji, live. Can we talk a little bit about sort of your past? What got you interested? in taking on what for most of us would be something fairly exotic, something fairly out of the ordinary to commit and dedicate your life to a pursuit like this? Well, as a young man, I had a lot of questions. I had an inquiring mind. I was always looking for answers to big questions in life. And for several years as a youth, it brought me nothing but frustration because I just wasn't finding the answers to the questions I was seeking. I recall myself now, I grew up in Southern California and I was always close to the ocean. So myself and my friends would go out surfing. 
And I would come in and I would sit on a bluff there in the San Diego coastline. And I remember very clearly myself sitting there looking out on the expanse of the ocean and profoundly wondering to myself, where was I before I was born? Where do I go when I die? Why am I here? What is the purpose for this life? And what am I supposed to accomplish? I almost felt like I couldn't chart my course or my future, plan my future until I had answered some of these cosmic questions. And so my inquiry continued and I was reading books and I was trying to find answers to some of these big uh, challenging questions. And finally, I came across a little book of Paramahansa Yogananda uh, called The Science of Religion. I have it right here. This is the centennial version, the science of religion. It is the printed version of the first talk, first lecture that he gave at the um, Congress of Religious Leaders in Boston. You saw the clip of the historic paper article on that. And he gave a lecture there, and it's printed in this book. The title is The Science of Religion. And I read that little book, and I came to a portion where Yogananda very simply connected the dots for me. He answered my most important question, why am I here? What is my purpose here? And he says, essentially, everyone is seeking happiness. Everyone wants happiness, whether they're seeking it legally or illegally. They all want happiness. And there is a source of happiness that is right within us, that is a joy greater than anything we have ever experienced from pleasures in the world around us. And he calls that inner joy bliss. So he says, everyone is seeking happiness. The greatest happiness is bliss and bliss is God. And to this day, that remains the most simple and profound definition of God that I've ever heard. And when those dots were connected for me, I immediately felt something resonating within me. And it was, yes, that's what I want. That's my purpose in life. That's my mission, to be able to tap into that inner joy, because nothing in this world has been satisfying me so far. And I continued with that inner inquiry. Where is this joy? Does this joy exist? Because I wanted proof. Just reading about it wasn't enough for me. I wanted proof. And so I was petitioning within myself, you know, to Yogananda, if this joy does exist, if God is real, I need proof. And after several months of inner inquiry, the doors started to open. And I started to feel this constant streaming of a joy that had no relationship with outer conditions, that had no stimulus from around me. It was just a state of being that was starting to manifest within me. And I knew that it was real and it is real. And so that was the launch of my journey in life. And it was also the founding purpose behind my choosing to become a monastic, because I said, this is something I can dedicate my life to. So I think that if I was at my late age to develop a resume, <laughs> it would say something like Brother Satyananda explores and cultivates inspiration and strives to share that with others. Atendra, in conversations with you, I hear you using the word inspiration a lot. I don't know if you're aware of it, but I hear you saying, oh, that's inspiring, or I was inspired by this. And I'm wondering if you can 
kind of help us share with us a little bit, what does inspiration mean to you? Yeah, thank you for asking, brother. And there's so much that you've shared in your uh, journey that sparks curiosity and interest in me to ask you some questions too. But but anyway, about inspiration, it's interesting that you observe that in me. And, um, you know, I, I suppose you are right. What drives or, you know, intrigues me about inspiration, first of all, is the idea of living life to its fullest, of being able to sanctify every moment with the greatest possibilities it might have to experience purity and beauty and joy and you know some kind of unity and all of these qualities that lift up our spirits and our soul. I guess if I remember one very basic experience that used to really inspire me when I was growing up was we used to just lie flat on the grass in the gardens of our home and look at the clear blue sky above and then when it was night it would turn into a starry sky and just looking at those stars and contemplating on the vastness of the universe and the fact that it seemed like almost like endless and yet I felt like there must be something that connects me with that star and that star and everything else in the universe. That itself was um, just kind of childlike, I guess, inspiration that, that I experienced. And uh, ever since then, I have been, to your point, very drawn to those people who live their lives with uh, a very inspired quality. And you certainly epitomize that, Brother G. I actually used to, do, used to do more of that. I used to love to lie on my back outside at night and look up into the sky and just immerse myself in the heavens. It was a cosmic connection. A quote of Paramahansa Yogananda that has motivated me over the years, uh, I'd like to share. He says, even if life gave you at one time everything you wanted, wealth, power, friends, after a while, you would again become dissatisfied and need something more. But there is one thing that can never become stale to you, joy itself. Then why not seek joy directly? Unlike material pleasures, this joy is not an abstract quality of mind. It is the conscious, self-born, self-expressing quality of spirit. Seek it and be comforted forever. Wow. Brother Ji, I, I want to move more into this conversation about joy. But before we do that, can I ask and observe one thing in what you've said, which is you use the word God. And it is a word that some of us get inspired by and drawn to, and others pull back a little bit and feel a little bit kind of like perhaps you know, skeptical or resistant to or based on whatever life experiences we may have had. And not just did you use that word, but you also mentioned how in your own you know, search for truth, there was a certain definition of that word, a certain definition of that profound concept of God that you were very drawn to. And that definition, when you mentioned it, what struck me was that it was not as much an outside-in kind of definition about some haloed entity sitting on some throne somewhere, but it was a very personal definition. It was a definition that relates to an experience and an experience that you were pursuing from within. Could you, could you just comment on that a little bit? Because, you know, I get drawn to the impact that words have, you know, on people. And um, one of the things I've realized is the same word can sometimes spark different associations for people. So perhaps we can spend just maybe two minutes on just that word as you see it, and then we can move on to this conversation about joy. Yes. Well, the simple definition that Yogananda Ji gives for God is bliss and bliss consciousness. And that is kind of at the foundation of self-realization. So self-realization is a state of being um, that we can actually acquire and experience. It's an expansion of our human state of awareness into a, a greater, a magnified, more beautiful state of awareness. And in this sense, God is part of us and we are part of God. 
There is no uh, separation there. It's simply that we must become aware of that unity of being. So when we have that search within ourselves for self-realization, we are seeking to acquire an awakened understanding, perception, and experience of a God that is a part of us already. And I find this very stimulating because it's maybe perhaps the highest level discovery that human beings can make. We're living in a time when people are really struggling with that idea of, of joy, or with the um, kind of course corrections that their lives have had to take with the pandemic, uh, sometimes economic and social and other kind of upheaval that it might be triggering. In the United States, I'm seeing some statistics that um, you know show a certain kind of like troubled mental health that uh, a large number of people are going through. And uh, a lot of the end of year greetings I was seeing people make uh, as 2020 was coming to a closure is that like good riddance, really, really bad year is over. And here you are, you're saying that, but maybe the true source of joy is something that perhaps is always available to you and it lies more within than in seeking stability and order from a world without. Could you just like illuminate a little bit more that idea? I mean, what is this, you know, can people have proof points or, or ways to think about joy as being sourced from within? Yes, that's one of uh, Paramahansa Yogananda's central themes. He's saying that all around us, the conditions of life are unstable. They're unstable. They're constantly changing. Sometimes they're to our liking and to our benefit. Sometimes they seem to be working against us. Something that we have been seeking as a desire we want to fulfill is uh, moved just beyond our reach. So seeking happiness only from around us subjects us and makes us vulnerable to the instability of the world. And so therefore we are changing in our state constantly vacillating. But if we are seeking something that is within ourselves, that is ever present within us, that becomes a constant source that we can rely on. Now, I think it's very interesting to note that Yogananda's life spanned huge world drama. So from the 1920s all the way to the end of his life, we had two world wars, a decade of economic depression in between. His life, he was walking through this, the kind of drama that we're experiencing right now in our country. And he was giving this message to everyone. He was demonstrating it. He was modeling it. He was saying, I can be happy even though there's suffering going on around me and I am struggling too myself, um, I can find happiness. He said something very moving to me. He said, if you can find that joy, that joy within, and if you can retain that joy all the time, no matter what happens in your life, you will stand unshaken amidst the crash of breaking worlds. <laughs> and I think that when we ask ourselves, what are we experiencing right now, this week, today, it's almost like the crash of breaking worlds, isn't it? Yes, Brother G. I'm in fact, uh, by the way, for those of us who are not familiar with the the G that I'm adding at the end of brother in my interaction here with the brother Satyananda, it's a, a force of habit. I mean, I, I've uh, grown up in, in, in the culture of India and uh, you append the uh, the syllable G, uh, you know, anytime that you're just feeling moved to express respect for someone. <laughs> and I think in that context, I've often concatenated these two influences, the, the, the English from the West with the, the G from Hindi from the East. So brother G is, is how you're seeing me talk to brother. 
But yes, Brother G, in this case, the point you're making is perhaps something that can have so much potent possibilities for, for so many of us. How can one do that? How can one chart that journey and stay on that journey to connect with and experience this joy, this bliss uh, from within? Are, are there are they like practical tools and pathways through which one can actually experience it for oneself? Yes, this is the purpose of a traditional spiritual path. So when people ask me, you know, what is Self-Realization Fellowship? And I said, well, Self-Realization Fellowship is not just a church. It is a path. It's a spiritual path. And this is a classic tradition from India that the teacher maps out a way, uh, a pathway that a disciple, seeker, spiritual seeker, a joy seeker can follow. And it involves uh, meditation. It involves prayer. It involves right living. It involves, as I was talking to our uh, brave little team at Lake Shrine yesterday, I said, you know, an important message for this current time right now, protect your consciousness protect your consciousness. Don't allow yourself to be dragged through the mud of these volatile world events. Stay in touch and be informed, but be in contact with your inner self. So there is a need for constant watchfulness. There is this idea of being able to walk the path uh, with steadfastness, with steadiness. And as we walk this path on a daily basis, it is an application of timeless spiritual principles, and it keeps us moving forward. It's that daily steady effort. It's not just going to church on Sunday. It's not just saying, oh, I was so inspired three weeks ago. No, we want that inspiration to flow continuously. And that's something that we work for. Yeah. Brother, as you know, I have uh, one of my feet, you know, deeply entrenched in the world of business. And um, there's a lot of talk over the last year in particular around uh, employee well-being, particularly from the standpoint of managing stress and managing mental health. And, uh, and I think there's something really powerful in the message that you're communicating, which is that what if we were to move from just like eliminating the downside to maximizing the upside, which is more than just about stress elimination or like just kind of getting to some level of mental stability. What about maximizing joy? You know, what about maximizing joy? One of the things I've um, been drawn to exploring is looking at lives of storied figures in history, like an Abraham Lincoln, um, you know, Mother Teresa. And, you know, in both cases, for example, in those cases, you find them at times, you know, uh, thrust into situations which were, you know, extremely challenging and, and in some ways painful with regard to the human suffering that they were bearing witness to. And yet, to your point, in both cases, I find that they used certain practices to elevate, you know, their consciousness, to bring happiness, joy, even laughter. There was a general who at one point told the president when he made a joke after having just gone to the battlefield and he said, Mr. President, how, how can you how can you be laughing at a moment when you really see there's just so much bloodshed here? And, and Lincoln replied, which is like, look, if it wasn't for these few soothing moments where we can pull ourselves out and above you know, this fray, I wouldn't be able to survive. And with Mother Teresa, same thing. She might be serving uh, communities where you're seeing these people very gaunt and very shriveled up based on lack of health and nutrition, what have you. And she's serving them. And yet she's doing it with love and with joy. So um, I wonder if there is a, a learning right here for, for all of us 
which is to never deny ourselves that capacity to strive to operate with joy from within. Even as to your point, we are actually engaged in the fray or whatever it is we are doing on the outside to be thoughtfully of service to the world. It's important, uh, Hitendra, that we always be aware of our choices because we have been given a gift of free will, free choice, and uh, daily life gives us a menu and we have uh, choices that we can make. So I think it's a, a nice standard to live by that we always strive to make the highest level choice available to us. And if we do this and living this way with intention, consciously, then we will find that we are optimizing, you might say, to our advantage, the benefits of what life is offering and what our resources are within. And so we find this in great people uh, doing great things. They're constantly making the highest choices available to them. That is how they interpret events, the kinds of things that they respond to within themselves. So we may have a bad emotion, like say, for example, someone is uh, going through the death of a loved one. I talk with people all the time this way. And when they counsel with me, they're always presenting two sides. One is the sorrow, but then one is the kind of amazing experience that they're having being connected with spirit at that time. And that twin, that dual experience is always there. And I'm saying to them, be aware of what you choose. You can be aware of the sorrow, but choosing the mystical, beautiful, connected experience with the departed loved one. What do we choose? And this can help us to navigate wisely through very complicated and difficult situations like we're experiencing today. We can be aware of the uh, need to navigate carefully. Uh, we need to be aware of the need to protect our consciousness. But if we are choosing joy, if we are choosing peace, if we are interpreting our experiences this way, you will find almost immediately that your heart and mind respond and you're able to live life with greater strength. We are not disconnected. We are very deeply connected with the life around us, but we are living life with much more inner strength and we can then be of service to others. There is so much uh, power in that framework that you've just offered us, a very practical power to it, where you've talked about how in every moment there are choices we can make and uh, seek to operate with the highest choice, you know, make, make, make that highest choice. And, and then you've shared with us how um, in, in those moments where you're counseling someone who is uh, grieving the loss of a, of a loved one, that uh, there are these two kind of modes they're in, you know, where they're both uh, very, very much connected with that loss at a physical level. And at the same time, there's this almost mystical experience of a deeper spiritual connection they're feeling perhaps with the uh, presence or spirit of someone that they're not seeing as having fully expired, even while physically they, they will never have the person back. So that's such a, and then making that higher choice in that case. It reminds me of a quote from Yogananda, you know, be in the world, but not of the world. Could you, could you just elaborate on that? Because I, I find that very, very beautiful. Yes, it seems like a paradox, but actually when we are striving to live in a higher way in daily life, we find ourselves rising above the drama. And it's kind of a natural response to the effort that we're making where we are experiencing what life is you know, putting before us, but we are not becoming so engrossed and immersed in it. So there can be this experience of uh, powerful events that just sweep over you like a tide and they completely engulf you and you feel lost in them. But if we are making the choice, uh, a higher level choice, we can have the experience of participating in daily life, but we are not overwhelmed by the effects 
of daily life. And I think it's important to recognize that we can be guiding and governing ourselves wisely, and that produces a very powerful response from the inside that can strengthen us in witnessing and experiencing events on the outside. And in this way, we can actually be united with some form of inspiration, even while we are uh, going through you know, great trials. And this is what we see in strong people. And this is what we admire about strong people. How can they be that way? How can they have this kind of attitude? What's driving them? What is their source inside that gives them this kind of positive energy in the face of such obstacles? You talked about the path and you've talked about daily living guidance, which we've been speaking about now for the last few minutes, including this explanation you just shared with us about how to operate like while being in the world, but not of the world. You also talked about meditation as one of the key pillars of the uh, journey that you've been on. And, um, you know, it occurs to me like it would be a, uh, such a lost opportunity if we didn't take advantage of this uh, time uh, with you, if we weren't able to get a little bit of a flavor of a taste, you know, of, of that as well. So I, I realize it's a journey. It's not a one-time thing. But what do you think about perhaps taking a couple of minutes and maybe guiding us through a certain form of meditation that might you know, spark or inspire us? Yes, I think um, this is something that we always do in our public forums, for Self-Realization Fellowship, because it's one thing to talk about solutions, spiritual solutions, but it's on a whole different level to be able to experience it. So I, I could say very briefly that uh, Yogananda teaches us that meditation is both an art and a science, um, and it's for the purpose of discovering our inner human potential, our potential for inspiration, our potential for joy, and the spiritual path that Self-Realization Fellowship lays out for anyone who wishes to follow is a path of methods. It's scientific because these are proven methods that can produce consistent results. We call this the path of Kriya Yoga. It includes scientific meditation according to certain techniques and methods, and then a lifestyle that supports the scientific meditation. And the path in this sense builds a bridge between our human condition and the potential greater joy that we can embrace from within. So I could guide us in a five, six minute meditation. What do you think, Atindra? Brother, it reminds me of a little story I heard about uh, Mahatma Gandhi, someone who used to work closely with him. He said, I observed something about him that sometimes he would just ask me because he wasn't wearing a watch himself. What is the time? And I would say 4.25. And he would say, when is my next meeting? And I would say 4.30, sir. And he would say, oh, that's wonderful. And then he would just close his eyes and he would be still for five minutes. My guess is that he was probably rebooting. I'm inspired by, by the teaching you're sharing. What would you say to someone right now who is experiencing great anger or fear or injustice or powerlessness? Well, I would suggest guiding them through a little meditation like we just did. You can't really reach someone very well when they are all wrapped up in those kinds of powerful emotions or let's say reactions. So if I'm sitting down with someone and they're going through a, a very emotional turmoil, I take a few minutes to quiet everybody, quiet us down. I say, could we have a short meditation together? Would you mind? And, and then you can guide them through. You'll be amazed. You sit down with them and they're all agitated and all worked up and angry. And if you allow them or guide them through just a simple tension and relaxation, let's just release this stress. Let's just let it go. We'll do it together. You will find that they will completely shift into a more receptive state. And then you can listen to them first. 
um, and then talk to them and give them encouragement. So I think encouragement is probably one of the most effective tools that we can use in helping other people. Most often people don't want advice, but they do thrive on encouragement. So you can do this. You can survive this. You can prevail over this. Um, You're able to do this. You have the strength within you. I know you. I love you. And people respond to that and they will go away feeling that they were deeply understood and that they were given uh, a little interlude, you might say, a little intermezzo from the travails of life, I would encourage this kind of approach. I practice it, and I think you can too. One of the things that gives me great joy in this 21st century is the way that um, science and spirituality are no longer standing poles apart, uh, no longer seeing each other as, in some ways, opponents. But... uh, as uh, collaborators in the pursuit of truth. And uh, the things that you are saying, brother, that come from uh, timeless ancient teachings of the spiritual explorations that have been made uh, around the world, certainly the yoga tradition, among others, are being validated in, in their own way through science today today as well, uh, as I'm sure you know. And so the thing that you just shared about uh, when someone is in that state of um, emotional turmoil reminds me of, you know, one piece of that science about how a simplistic way one can think about sort of these two states that we operate in, the still calm steady, centered state, and then the agitated, restless, aroused, uh, you know, disturbed state. And so within us are kind of like these two, two selves. And, and there's kind of like a battle going on between one and the other, uh, isn't it? And, uh, and what you're saying is, you know, bring, bring yourself and bring the other person back to that, to that part of them that's always been there, but that may not be evident in the moment. Yes, Dendra. And um, on the personal level, uh, it's very empowering to recognize that we don't have to be a victim of our own moods. So we expose ourselves or become exposed to prevailing forces that are very strong. We have our emotional and mental reactions. And so we vacillate into different states of agitation, but we tend to be passive about it. And we tend to think, oh, I'm really in a mood today. And then we don't think we can do anything about it. But the path of enlightenment, as we might say, is about doing something about this. That is, take charge of your inner self. Take charge of your inner experience. Be aware that the choices that you make within yourself will determine um, your perception. And so if we are finding ourselves adversely affected by something that's going on in our life, it's okay to respond. I mean, react, and but, but catch yourself and say, do I need to endure this suffering within myself? Do I have a higher choice? And then you will find that if you do just a little bit of reboot, a little bit of meditation, it actually liberates you to make the higher choice. Before you were trapped as a prisoner with the powerful energy of a dark mood, but if you have a short meditation and you actually release it, you release those shackles and it allows you to make the higher choice. And as you do this day after day, really, really striving with it, you will find that you are gaining a new spiritual skill, a new skill to be able to rise above to be able to rise above, it's an act of intention. And as we rise above, then we find new strength, we find new options, and it becomes a new potential for us. 
Thank you, brother. Yeah. That was beautiful. In this uh, pursuit of self-realization, have you found in the teachings specific measures or metrics that um, Yogananda offered to help people calibrate themselves as to whether they're progressing or not? Well, it's easy to measure outer things in terms of metrics. So we can take our surveys and we can calculate percentages and so forth. Uh, esoteric or inner subjective matters are a little bit harder to define that way. But I would say, yes, definitely, we can um, measure to a great deal of satisfaction. So for example, I took time to train myself with this little reboot. And when I first started, it took me about 15 minutes to be able to really calm myself down to my satisfaction. And I could have remained at that level and said, okay, well, it takes 15 minutes. But I said, no, I don't always have 15 minutes. I want to be able to do this in 60 seconds. And so I started training myself. And gradually, I brought myself to a point where now I can take myself from a state of agitated restlessness to a state of profound enjoyment of stillness and peace in 60 seconds. And I did that because I started using a measuring tool. Another way is to I'm a big fan of journaling, and I give classes here at the Lake Shrine uh, to the disciples on being able to evaluate your daily life experience and to initiate needed changes. And so I'm always tracking personal change. Uh, I'm initiating exper experiments that allow me to uh, make adjustments in my performance and the way that I'm doing things and the way that I feel and respond to things. And then I evaluate. So for example, this morning after my meditation, I drew a little circle in my journal and I said, okay, conversation with Hitendra today. How will it go? And I put a question mark and I said, I predict, you know, we get along really well. I really honor and respect him. Um, it's a wonderful topic. I think it's going to go really well. But later on today, this evening, tomorrow, I'll go back and I'll say, how was it? How did I perform? Was I centered? Was I coherent? Um, you know, all of these little things, I ask myself these questions. And in this way, I can see how I can improve my performance on a personal level and on a social and spiritual level. So I think if you take an active role in working with yourself, posing the questions that seem to have no answers, trusting yourself to um, provide answers from the stillness within and to start trusting your judgment and your interpretations, to consciously be choosing the higher choices. I think that when you begin working with your yourself actively this, or interactively this way, the results are surprisingly measurable and you feel better for it. What uh, really strikes me, brother, in the conversation you just uh, had with us here in giving examples from your own pursuits of uh, metrics and measures and daily reflections that you're doing is how here you are, you know, someone who's deeply invested in, in serving a certain cause, in providing counseling and inspiration and guidance to others. You've been on this path for 45 years and you have this uh, continued discipline and hunger for daily introspection for your own growth, for your own self. One might have thought that at some point you were now just going to be focusing on others and you were kind of like done. But uh, it's so humbling and beautiful to see how, which, what, is evidence to all of us that you have attained certain rarefied air kind of heights that you're still, you know, honing, you're still honing that craft and advancing further. Uh, and it's a lesson to all of us 
to continue to stay invested in our own growth, much as we're seeking to serve the world. So, so beautiful, brother. To start bringing us to closure, since um, regrettably so, the hour is, uh, is, is up. I want to acknowledge that there have been a couple of questions we haven't been able to answer. What would be a, kind of like a tip be to cultivate loving kindness into our daily life choices? And then there was uh, another question about like, how do we get deeper and deeper into meditation? And I know you've just like scratched the surface with what you've shared today. And I do want to sort of help people appreciate through your lens, brother, that while there is a beautiful proliferation of interest that is happening around mindfulness and meditation today in the world, that uh, there are deeper practices that if you truly get invested in some path, whatever is the appropriate path for you, that one can tap into from time to time. So maybe if you could just um, give like a quick word on where people could go for more resources and ideas, I think that would be uh, that would be helpful for many of us. Yes. Uh, well, I definitely recommend the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda they are profoundly insightful, very instructional, and uh, highly encouraging. Uh, go to the uh, website yogananda.org, that's our central website, and click on the top menu, and you will see there a number of very useful options. One of them is our online bookstore. A book I like to recommend, in addition to the classic autobiography of a yogi, is a collection of um, Paramahansa Ji's inspirational lectures. He has a collection of three books, but the book that's my favorite is called Divine Romance, Divine Romance. And it has a wonderful selection that you can kind of browse the table of contents and find actually um, topics and themes exactly as you're seeking right now. Paramahansa Yogananda also has a very profound lesson study course that you can subscribe to, Self-Realization Fellowship uh, Lessons. This was uh, developed by Yogananda himself and expanded and refined by his disciples according to his instructions. It's incredibly profound. It gives a lot of useful metaphysics, a wonderful spiritual worldview that we can apply in today's conditions, in today's environments, and defines the path for us, how we can build this bridge from the outer human experience to uh, an inner highly inspirational experience. So these are resources that you can seek out yourself, uh, yogananda.org, top menu, book, uh, bookstore, and lessons. Wonderful, brother. I know we're living at a time when community and group services have been more limited because of COVID. But uh, what for me has been also such a blessing on this path is that, you know, for the most part, like wherever you go in the world, you will find a collection of people who are kind of pursuing this journey towards self-realization guided by the teachings of Yogananda. And so if any of you are in the vicinity of some medium-sized town or some some large city in, in many different parts of the world, I think you'll find... Uh, that there is a community there that isn't it brother i mean it's it's now a presence yes, we're, all, we're all over the world and now during uh, this covid season we have an online meditation community so you can uh, go to our website and tap into a calendar of online group meditations this is very very helpful wonderful so uh, let's seek to then bring the conversation today to to closure Brother, what would be your final counsel, final words uh, for any of us who are drawn to the idea of pursuing inner joy? Well, keep up uh, your inner quest. Uh, keep posing questions to yourself and keep seeking answers. Um, look to sources that you trust. Learn how to meditate a little bit every day, and you will start uh, discovering for yourself how a spirituality can actually provide a profound resource for your daily life. 
I love this quote of, of Paramahansa Yogananda. He says, life becomes ever more beautiful, richer, and more wonderful in every way as you progress step by step to higher and more, more refined states of consciousness and thereby see through the coverings of matter and gross vibrations that obscure the glory of the indwelling spirit within you and all pervading creation. So the message there is, is that life can be ever more beautiful, rich and wonderful if we are following a step-by-step -step path that we can use to reveal the secrets of life. And this deepens our and enriches our life experience. We are so grateful to have you in our midst, brother. Thank you for putting the heart and the thought and spirit into doing this event with us today and sharing this profound wisdom and inspiration from this timeless teaching of yoga brought in recent times through Yogananda into the world. We are incredibly grateful, brother. And uh, I'm reminded of just closing out a quote that I'd started, but I had not wrapped up earlier in the conversation when I talked about how at a certain point, Yogananda went from the quantitative to the qualitative. He went from the, the crowds to the souls, saying, I prefer souls over crowds. And he said something more than just that, because he also said, I prefer souls over crowds, and I love crowds of souls. And so I think Yogananda would have been very joyous about this crowd of souls that, um, brother, today we're able to gather in your midst and uh, learn and gain inspiration from you. You're so grateful. Pranams. All right. You know, Godspeed. Thank you, everyone. I hope that you have a wonderful next couple of weeks. I know there's a, a lot unfolding in the world. And so I'm um, sending you thoughts and, and, and prayers. And I look forward to having us back together very soon. We will be in touch with more on Intersections. Thank you for joining us today.